Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. As we continue our study of the book of Daniel, we have reached the end of chapter 9, a chapter that is packed with so much information that is part of our life in the 21st century. Class teacher Doug Brady has gone through 12 lessons on this single 27-verse chapter, and he has explained each part very carefully for our understanding. Today's lesson, taken from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, is titled, The End of the Beast. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in LaVorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. Over 125 people attend this class each week, and we dig deeply into the scriptures as we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We invite you to visit our class if you're in the area. Well, Doug is at the podium, ready to begin this lesson in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Here now is our longtime teacher and my good friend, Doug Brady. I'm trying to finish Daniel chapter 9. You say, well, gee, you've been on the last verse now for the past four weeks. Well, yes, but I'm going to try. If, if you have to get up and leave, that's okay. But I want to finish today because I want to get in chapter 10 next, uh, next Sunday. Let's review just a little bit. I want you to remember we are looking in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and we've been studying, number one, the treaty. And let's look at the treaty because the treaty has three, I believe, three key characteristics or terms. Number one, the, the agreement will extend for a period of seven years. So it'll be a seven-year term on this treaty. Number two, now, did you notice how the seven-year term they picked perfectly goes along with God's plan for a seven-year tribulation? Did you? Okay, just want to make sure you pick that up. Second, Israel will be allowed to rebuild her temple. Now, there are some people who believe, no, that's not a, a term of that treaty. Israel will build her temple before then. But let me tell you, I don't think that's the case. But even if it is, we'll talk about it a little more later. Number three is that the beast, that is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition will guarantee Israel's peace and security. Now, who's going to be inhabiting this fella? Satan. What do we know about him? The father of lies. lies. Exactly right. So that's the terms of the covenant. Now, we looked at something else that happened in the middle of that seven-year term last Sunday. And what was that? The abomination of desolation. We haven't prayed yet. Dear Father, thank you so much for how you have blessed each and every one of us. And I thank you, the people and the friends that you've brought here this morning. I thank you so much that Linda was able to feel good enough to be here today. I pray, Father, that you continue to bless us as a class, as you have, continue to bless our church, and turn the tide 
and start putting us in a position where you can bless us in our nation. I pray that you'll eliminate the sin and you'll eliminate the sinful leaders. And that I want to pray especially, Father, in this key time for nine people, the nine persons who sit on our Supreme Court. And I want to pray today especially for John Roberts. You know, Father, whether or not he's being blackmailed, whether he's being threatened, and you know what's going on in his heart. But I pray that you will take his heart and you will turn it the way you want so we in our nation will stop murdering children. I know this is an abomination to you, and you hate it, and so I pray that you intervene, Father. I know that it's your will for us to stop doing this. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were talking about this treaty, we talked about a war, a conflict that's referenced in Psalm 83, a conflict that's referenced in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we saw that they did two things. Number one, they would be eliminatory of the concerns about rebuilding the temple because uh, Muslim power would be decimated. God's going to decimate it. They think Allah is there to protect them. They're going to find out who Allah is. Allah, a.k.a. Satan, a.k.a. the devil, a.k.a. the father of lies. And they're going to see that too late, but they're going to see it. And then we saw that that will be an impetus for them trying to seek peace and security from the Antichrist. So these two wars motivate this treaty. Now, some people have suggested or had concerns about, and I want to reiterate this, in Ezekiel 38, look what it says. And I will turn you about. Now, he's talking to Gog, who is the ruler of Magog. And who should we understand that to be? Russia. Russia. I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attire, great company with buckler and shield and all of them wielding swords. Now, that draws a comparison that it was like catching a fish and you hook them and you just pull them in where they don't want to go, that they are forced to go. But that's not the way God does it. God does it a little differently. Now, as I was growing up, I had several women who were friend, older women who were friends of mine, and they would tell me things and try to help me understand things. And several of them would tell me, you got to watch out, Doug, for the female who not only is able to get you to do exactly what she wants, but she makes you think it was your idea in the first place to do it. Now, I don't know if there's really any women like that around. <laughs> Although some of my ideas I have are a little strange that I thought of them. But be that as it may, you know who originated that plan? Uh, no, it wasn't Eve. No, it wasn't Satan. Look in Ezekiel 38, 10 through 13. Now, remember, he's going to bring Gog down. He says by putting a fish hook in his mouth. How is he going to do that? He's going to make the lure so attractive that the fish can't wait to bite that thing. 
Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. Who's going to put those thoughts there? Well, we have one of two choices. Either God's going to do it or he's going to con Satan into doing it for him. But whatever the case, the thoughts will be put into the mind of Gog and he will devise an evil plan, and you, Gog, will say, I will go up against the land of the unwalled villages, and I will go against those who are at rest that live securely, and all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates to capture spoil and to seize plunder. This is why they think they're going, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and against the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods and who live in the center of the earth. Sheba and Dan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled company? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold and take away cattle and spoil goods and capture great spoil? In other words, Cog is going to believe that it is in his best interest that this ripe plum that he has is they're going to take it. And they're just going to take it away from Israel. And they will put together a coalition of Muslim allies who want Israel gone. And they think that they're going to come. And then God will destroy them. These two attacks will be used to eliminate those who oppose the Jews rebuilding the temple. And to motivate Israel to seek protection from superior military might to themselves. Now... Now I can get to the second thing that happened in the middle of that verse, and that's the Obama... Oh, question. You're referring to these two attacks. Are you talking about the first attack being in Psalm 83? Yes. Okay, because I didn't hear you say that. Yes. You'll find that, I think, first in the notes. But then, and we'll talk about it again. And to motivate Israel to protect her. Now, we're going to consider the abomination of desolation. This abomination of desolation is an event talked about multiple places in the scripture. We went over that last week, but it involves four events or four actions, this abomination of desolation. Number one is this, the antichrist or the beast will stop the sacrifice and the grain offering. They will be offering sacrifices to Yahweh, or at least they believe they will, the Jewish people, and that will be stopped. Secondly, The beast will go into the temple like Antiochus Epiphanes did, and he will proclaim himself to be God, and you, meaning the entire world, will be required to worship him. In addition to that, he will put up his statue of himself permanently there in the temple. And the statue, remember, will start to breathe, and he will start to speak. And what are the first words, basically, it will say? Everyone must take the mark here on the right hand, or on the forehead. And they'll be able to read that mark. And you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't go in a grocery store, you can't own a job, you can't travel in air, you can't do anything unless you have that mark. Now, do you think we're being prepared for that? I don't know. Maybe not, we just have to see. But anyway, he's going to do that. The fourth thing is, this is going to start the most horrific persecution of the nation of Israel that the world has ever seen. You know, Israel says today, when we saw that back in World War II in the Holocaust, never again. 
yes again. It's coming. You're bringing it on yourselves by making this deal with the Antichrist, and that is exactly what's going to happen. How bad will it be? Maybe two-thirds of the Jewish nation will die during this seven-year period. Two-thirds. Yes, ma'am. Well, I've read that the reason that they have the option from your hands for the is because in the Arab world, if you, if you steal something, they'll cut off your, your hand. So I don't know if the reason for the option of hands is for that. Could be. You know, and I'm assuming that after a while it will become very decorative and uh, women will want to display it on their forehead or who knows. But anyway, look at this uh, persecution spoken of by Zechariah the prophet in chapter 13, verse 8. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish and the third will be left. And I will bring the third part through the fire Refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested and they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say Yahweh is my God. That's what's coming. Two thirds of the Jewish people alive at the time. Now that one third will be escaping and that's what's spoken of in uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and they will go to a, a special place that God has prepared for them. Some people think that's Petra. We don't know for sure, but very likely. Now, there comes a question that I've been trying to answer my entire life, and somebody has really been working on me in this class to adopt his position, and he's just about, I think maybe probably has swayed me. I used to think, who could be saved during the tribulation? Anybody. And in fact, a whole bunch of people are going to be saved. And I have even talked to people who I have witnessed to. Let me tell you, I understand you're saying no now. But I want you to keep this booklet because there's going to come a time I think you're going to see when there's going to be a rapture. And all of a sudden, all these people are going to disappear. And you're going to wonder what the heck's going on. But you're going to realize the people who are gone are Christians. And I think you'll be able to see that. And because of that, you better, you'll have one last chance you read this booklet again, you pray that prayer and receive Jesus as your Savior. Otherwise, you're spending eternity in hell in what's called the lake of fire. Now, I used to think they could do that all the time during the tribulation. Then my mind was changed and I came to realize or I came to believe, now once the tribulation starts, if you were had an opportunity to believe before, your opportunity is now gone. And the reason I thought that was what I found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, Then that lawless one, that is the beast or the Antichrist, will be revealed who the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish. Now, what, I'm, what that's talking about, I think, is mostly centered around or starting in the abomination of desolation, where shortly before that, the Antichrist is going to appear to be killed and then rise from the dead. Who do you think he's mocking or mimicking? With all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason... 
God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. See? You know, you had a chance before the tribulation started and you, and that was my second position. But that was my second position. Once the tribulation starts, you're, you're too bad. You're out of luck. Then this guy started talking to me and there's a passage in Revelation 14, 9 through 11. It says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night, those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark on his name. What that passage is saying is, if you receive the mark, you can't be saved. Now, how, what, if no one can be saved in the tribulation, why would they say that? Now, taking it one step further as I go along, I went back to Revelation 6, 9 through 11. This is when the horsemen are coming. Jesus is breaking the seals. It says, Then the Lamb broke the fifth seal, and I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you remain from judging and avenging the blood of those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who, will be, who were to be killed, even as they had been killed, would be completed also. Now, what is that saying? There are a bunch of martyrs who are under the throne, who are awaiting the end of the tribulation, asking to be avenged. Why? Because if you receive Jesus during the tribulation period, you probably will die very soon thereafter. Now think about it. If you go to chapter 7, who is God's ceiling? 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls turned out upon the world and the effect that they would have? Now you think about that a second. Why do I say Apostle Paul's? At the time that the tribulation occurs, are there any believers? No, they've all been raptured. Well, who's going to share the faith with those 144,000? Probably the same guy who shared the faith with Paul. Yes, the Lord, like on the road to Damascus. And so that's the way it's going to be. Now, in the, this was the fifth seal. In the fourth seal, it talks about death. It talks about a fourth of the world's population dying. Many of those will be martyrs. They say that the people under there is going to be myriads upon myriads. So I am now of the position people can be saved during the tribulation. You pay for it with your life unless you take the mark. 
then that's where the deluding influence comes, following those signs and activity of Satan, and you will no longer have a chance if you take that mark, and it's all over. And that's what I'm saying. Now, question anybody. Vera. I need some clarification here because of 2 Thessalonians. So I uh, want to make sure I understand what you're saying. If, you, if somebody has had the, heard the gospel before the rapture, and they don't get saved, my understanding is they're the ones that get deluded and no... I don't think so. I think they still can. But the ones who take the mark... Remember, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached according to Jesus in Matthew 24 throughout the whole world. Everyone's going to hear the gospel. They chose not to at the time, uh, the ones who before the rapture. Now, if some of you think that the rapture doesn't occur before the tribulation, we got a, on the uh, Jerry, it's a nine part lesson from DU on the website, correct? Those lessons will be anywhere from 50 minutes to 90 minutes. And it's complete, in that nine, a complete treatment, I think, of the rapture being premillennial. But we don't have time to get into that today. Now, Debbie, Deborah? Uh, doesn't the, it, isn't this the time that the Lord goes out to the Jew? Yes, there will be special time at the end, and he will preserve a third of the Jews. Two-thirds will die. But those thirds will be the special, and that's the one in Zechariah talks about. He will protect. And you remember in Revelation 12, uh, the, the Antichrist is chasing them as they're leaving Judea. God intervenes and stops it. It says the earth swallowed up the river that was sent after them. Gary, you had a question? I think, I think yeah, right. We can say for sure that people are saved during the Great Tribulation. And yes, they are martyred, and they are rewarded for their martyrdom in Revelation 20, verse 4 and following. You're right. They will be. There's a, he said that not only will people be saved during the tribulation, they will be martyred during the tribulation, and they will receive a special crown for that martyrdom, what is it, the crown of life? Well, I'm not sure that I think that the church doesn't, the bride is not reigning with Christ. All right. Well, let's go on because I want to be able to finish today because now we're going to turn to the end, the end of the verse, which is the end of the tribulation period. So let's look here. In 927, and he, remember, that's the beast, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed that is poured out upon the one who makes desolate. Now let's focus on that last part there. And I want you to see it. This final week ends with the desolator being destroyed. That's the Antichrist or the beast. How will that happen? How will he be destroyed? Well, we're told very specifically in two places. The first one is in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, false wonders, and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Now notice, 
When is it talking about those who were deceived with the wickedness who were going to perish because they did not receive the truth? At what time period? At the end of the seven years, those people. Now let's look at a couple of things in here real quick. And he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who will that be? The Holy Spirit. Now, can the Holy Spirit be removed, Chris, if I'm still here? No, because he's indwelling me. So that means he's got to take me if he's going to take the Holy Spirit. You too? I'm glad to hear you're coming with me, David. Julie's coming too, I'll have you know. But now let's look at the next one. The next phrase I want you to see in here. The lawless one will be revealed. How would anybody know for certain who the lawless one is? He signs the treaty. Signs the treaty. Then look at it this way. Whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. The Lord will show up and he will kill him with a sword that proceeds from his mouth. Well, what is the sword of the Lord? The word of God. That's what he will do. And he will show up in an appearance like has never been seen in the world before. And guess what? We will be coming with him. We will be coming with him. And I want you to see that. Let's look at it one more time. This is a lengthier passage. Or, or there are several passages I guess I want you to see. First, Isaiah 11.4. But with righteousness, the Lord will judge the poor and decide with fairness the afflicted of the truth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. There it's predicting, or prophesying the same event. In Revelation 2.12, when he's talking to the churches, he says this, Therefore repent, that is, turn your way, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. It's very clear that that is Jesus' weapon of choice, the word of God that comes from his mouth. Finally, the most glorious passage of all is found in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. So the heavens are open. What does that mean? I don't think we can know. But we'll see up in the sky... Something scroll back, Robbie, roll back like a scroll of the atmosphere, and here comes this great white horse. And the guy who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him, which no one accepts, knows except him. Now, what will everybody who's coming with him be dressed in? What will he be dressed in? A red robe. Because it's been dipped into the blood, is what it says. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following with him on white horses. And his, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the mid heaven, Come, assemble 
for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, great and small, or small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. And those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, I want you to consider something for a second, and I think you may find this a bit intriguing. I want you to consider our situation as the church. We are the bride in waiting, right? What are we waiting for? The return of Jesus, which we call it the the rapture, where the groom comes back for his bride. Now I've got a question for you. Are there any events or signs that have to have happened before the rapture can occur? You all are all wrong. You didn't listen to the question. Are there any signs or events that have to have happened before the rapture comes? Yes, there's five. Number one, Jesus has to come and present himself as king to the Jewish people and be rejected by them. Dawn, would there be a rapture if the Jews had said, yes, we're accepting you? No. Jesus had to die a sacrificial death on the cross before the rapture could come. Why? Because it's not going to be a rapture of saints if there's no payment for sin. Number three, there had to be a resurrection of that sacrificial death to the Son of God. Why? Because it proves He was the Son of God and lived a perfect life. If He hadn't lived a perfect life, He couldn't die for everyone else and He couldn't rise from the dead. But it proves that. That's the third thing that had to have happened. The fourth thing that has to happen, he had to have ascended back into heaven. If he hadn't gone back to heaven, how could he come back for us? And what did he say he was going to go do in heaven? Prepare a place for us, then come back and get us. Rapture doesn't occur until the ascension has to happen first. Finally, the Holy Spirit has to come. He came on Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost for the church? The birthday of the church. If you don't have a church, you can't rapture the church. Those five events. Now, the real answer to that question is technically yes, practically no, because all of those events have already happened, so the rapture can happen any time. But remember I said, have to have happened. Uh, you see, I try to warn you that you know I'm a lawyer, and I'm going to ask you those kind of questions, and uh, so I want you to see. Yes, ma'am. To, you know, delay it, but... Do you find it interesting that Israel was looking for the second coming and they couldn't accept the first coming? And now the church is looking for, uh, they're looking back to the first coming and they're not looking for the, the rapture. rapture. It's like we're in this delusion, like we don't know the time of our, so much of the church. Not Could that be because there's some master deceiver running around among us <laughs> who doesn't want us focusing on what God wants us focusing on, because we should be preaching the rapture. It's coming. You don't want to be left behind, but we don't. Now, have you ever heard anybody say this? 
look at what's going on in our nation. Look at the death of uh, babies. Look at the allowance of marriage of men, two men or two women. Look at allowing those couples to adopt children. Look at, and we go on and on and on. Look, look at the sex traffic that is going on, horribly slavery again. If you look what's going on in our nation, this time has to come back. Well, somebody talked to me about that this week. He said, Doug, it doesn't matter what happens in the USA. What matters is what happens in Israel. And he showed me a passage. I want you to see it's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 8 and 9. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. Now, wait a second. He's setting boundaries? Are nations supposed to have boundaries? You mean you just can't cross boundaries freely? You really have boundaries? Oh, all right. He said boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is his allotment in his inheritance. God focuses on Israel. Well, yeah, but the church is right. God still focuses on Israel. It is the key to what he's going to do. He's made the promises involving the tribulation. The only promise to us is he's coming back for us before that happens. All the other promises in relation to tribulation are to Israel. And we need to go through. Now, tribulation, what signs are there that the tribulation is going to occur? Number one. World War I and II. You say, well, that's already happened. Yes. We're living in the time of the last days. The first sign. How do you know that? Because you come to Matthew 24, 7 and 8. He's talking about what's going to happen and what is bringing these, this tribulation period close. And he compares them to birth pangs. Now, there's a number of probably females in this room who know a little bit about birth pangs. And they know they probably will never forget birth pangs. And they know that they start out not so bad, but they grow in frequency and intensity. And they get really darn bad near the end. And now, Jesus is comparing world history to that type of event. He says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, this is in a way an idiom among the Jewish people that's being translated into Greek. And what this is talking about is world wars. Everybody fighting everybody is what this is saying. Well, we've seen that happen. Now, a lot of historians that I have read, and I've studied a great deal, especially about World War II, in that World War II is really considered by many historians to be a continuation of World War I. It never really got resolved. And the players are a little different, but that's what it is. And look at the effect of World War I and World War II on Israel for a second. It was the first world war that really started the Zionist movement. Now, a lot of people will say the Zionist movement means this, means that, and it's all wrong. If you hear what the Zionist movement is on CNN or MSNBC, you can know it's wrong. But what is the Zionist movement? We Jews need a homeland or we will not be protected. We need to have an opportunity to protect ourselves. 
After World War I, there was something called the Balfour Declaration. Have you ever heard of the Balfour Declaration? It was basically came from a guy from England who said, Israel needs a homeland. World War II came. And then we saw the Holocaust. And we saw Germany killing millions of Jews. We saw Poland killing millions of Jews. We saw Russia killing millions of Jews. And the war was over in 1945. And in 1948, what happened? That is the second sign, I believe. So what we have here is all of these people, they need something, and it's coming from the wars. And in 1948, in May, Israel became a sovereign state. And we'll get to that more in just a minute. What else does it say? It it says, And kingdom will rise against kingdom, and in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. With World War I, the famines started. And there were series of famines, and periodically they would come about. Some people would say there's a lot of places in the earth right now where famines are going on. seems like Ethiopia is in continual famine. It's hard, it was hard for me as I did research to try and study famines and how they were occurring. So I went to the next group, earthquakes. What about earthquakes? Are they increasing at all? Well, let me tell you what I found. What I found as I looked through this and tried to study, if you take recordings of major earthquakes, in the first thousand years after Christ's death, there were approximately five major earthquakes. Then in the 14th century, there were 157. In the 15th century, there were 174. In the 16th century, there were 253. That's a 31% increase. In the 17th century, there are 278. In the 18th century, there were 640. That's a 56% increase over the prior century. In the 19th century, there were 2,119 major earthquakes. That's a 70% increase from the last century. But in the 20th century, And I have to tell you, I got tired in the middle of the night of counting all these things. But in the 20th century, there are well over 900,000. Now, that's from 2,119 to over 900,000 major earthquakes. Are they increasing? Are they increasing in intensity and frequency? Yes, they are. And it's coming and coming. That's the first one. Yes. No. The population of the world has not grown that kind of percentage from 200,119 to 900,000. I think God's causing these earthquakes. I think God is causing and allowing these earthquakes to increase and to happen because it's part of his signs that the time that the tribulation is coming. Gary, that, that's my thinking on it. Now, so you have World War II, one and two. You have earthquakes and famines. Then the Jewish people retake their nation. That's the third sign of the coming of the tribulation, period. Now, that happened in 1948. Who was the first nation to recognize them? The United States. And that happened on May 14th. You know, nine other nations followed shortly there. We, after we recognized them, nine other nations did it shortly also. You know who was one of them? Russia, they recognized. Now, so 
The third sign of the tribulation is coming is the Jewish people retake their land and form a nation. All these things happened before I was born. I was born into the last days. What's the next thing? I get to see the next one. This is when, it's when Israel retakes Jerusalem. Israel retakes Jerusalem. That happened when? 1967 in the Six-Day War. And now they own Jerusalem. Can't, can't happen. Tribulation can't happen. We can't build a temple if they don't have Jerusalem. Vera. I'm just going to mention the thing about Israel becoming a nation. In Isaiah 66, a, it says, Shall the earth be made uh, to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once, for as soon as Zion prevails? So that's right here. Predicting it coming back. Jewish people couldn't understand that. Well, we have Jerusalem. All it took was one vote, and it became a nation. So... After Jerusalem being taken over, the fourth sign is the 83 conflict occurs, Psalm 83. Have we seen that yet? No, because God is going to destroy, intervene and destroy those nations. That hasn't happened yet. What is the next sign? It's the war is spoken of in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Has that happened yet? No. no. Now, let's go on. If... Oh, sorry. They're going to come back. Right. And Revelation 20 is approximately 1,007 years at least after they're destroyed. And they will come back and they'll be, that area will be repopulated by the people who are born during the Millennial Kingdom. So you don't think that the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 occurs before the tribulation? Oh, no way. Yeah, well, you and I disagree on that. And they bury... Now, let me ask you, that's a good, a good point, Julie. One of the things it says, Gary, in chapter 39, is that they will take the instruments of war and they will burn them for firewood for seven years. Now, do you think... You're saying, after the millennial kingdom, as we go into the external state, we're going to take those weapons of war and burn them for firewood for seven years. No, we're not going to need it. There won't be any seas. There won't be any light. They're going to supply. Jesus is sitting on the throne, and he's all the light we have. There's no need for burning. The, the earth is going to be in a perfect situation the way it was from the very beginning. Yeah, it's just that, it's just that the word of God does not mention God who made God. I couldn't disagree with you more. It's in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So. Are you saying that Psalms 83 and Ezekiel 38 have to occur before the rapture? No, they do not. Rapture could happen at any time it's imminent. And it, it, it may not. We may not see those wars. Jack, I was always told that the reason that this is escalating and that earthquakes are escalating is because of sin. Well, that could be. And we're going to talk about sin here in just a second. Now, the people who believe that the build, rebuilding of the temple is not part of the covenant, that is, the temple will be rebuilt before the tribulation period, then that would be a sign. I believe it would be it's part of the covenant. So I don't believe that. Now, there is one thing that I have come to believe is another sign of the tribulation. 
I believe there will be angelic infiltration and creation of Nephilim prior to the tribulation to help funnel Satan's army. Now, what do you mean? Nah, I'm not saying artificial necessarily. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a production of a people that are not pure humans. They are part angel, part human. Now, where in the world do I get something like that? Well, you go back to the very start, to Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful. Now, let me stop right there. Sons of God is a construct. But some people want to say, oh, no, no, this is just talking about human beings. The daughters of men are referring to the, uh, those who came from the line of Cain, and the sons of God are those who came from the line of Seth. I disagree because this construct, sons of God, is used only a few times in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the next times it is used after this passage is in Job chapter 1, verse 6, where it talks about the sons of God meeting before God in heaven, and among them was Lucifer. And then the same event it describes in Job 2.1, where the sons of God had a meeting before God and Lucifer was among them. And you remember the conversations God had with Lucifer about Job. So we go on and it says, and they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose. Now, this word take is in the PL stem. Do you remember what PL means? Tense and intentional. I think this is a one... We don't need to go into that. They took wives for whomever they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever because he is also flesh. Never lover, his days shall be 120 years. So for 120 years, he gave them a chance to repent. They didn't, and the flood came. Now look at the last verse, verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, and they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, I don't believe this kept happening. It was stopped by the flood. One of the reasons for the flood was to kill all these Nephilim. They can't let them keep interbreeding. Now, you need to understand something here that I want to get through. I want to get through this before we ask, uh, try to answer any questions or get any comments. But what I want you to understand is, what word in the Hebrew language is there to refer to a half angel, half human? There is no such word. What word is there in the English language to refer to half angel, half human? There is no such word. What the translators are, are what the writer used here, Moses, said is Nephilim, which is a plural of the word for giants. They were considered giants. Now, some people want to make a statement as to this, what afterward means. And you need to understand, as you read this in the Hebrew, it means at the time he's speaking here and telling Moses these things that are going on and that he's talking to Noah. Remember, when he tells Noah about the flood, how long is there going to be? He didn't tell him how long, but it's going to be 120 years. Then the floods came. Well, it's going to take a long time for six guys without power tools to build an ark. If you've ever gone up and seen the ark, that's not a job you'd want to have. That's a full-time job for 120 years. So when he tells them this is happening, and afterwards until the flood, it's going to continue happening, and it's going to continue growing. 
That's why he says later in Genesis, Noah was complete in his generations. He was pure, pure human. His sons were pure humans. You see what I'm saying? There was no angelic infiltration for those who ate people who survived the flood. Now, some people want to say, wait a second, Jesus said there's no marrying going on in heaven. Therefore, no sexual ability. Well, what if all the angels are males? Is there going to be any marrying going on in heaven? But does that mean there's no sexual ability? But here's the thing for Satan. What happened? He lost all those angels. No, wait, how do you know that? Well, how do I know that? Let's look in Jude chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, he's talking about a point of sexual deviation. And the first example he uses is this angelic infiltration of the human race that Satan called for. Then what's the next example he uses? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities about them, since they in the same way. Same way as what? As the angels. In the same way as, those, as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh and are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now you say, well, that's Jude. And Jude does certain things that make him seem kind of unreliable. He quotes the book of Enoch and things like that. Let's look at 2 Peter. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Now, they translate this word hell. It's not the word that's used for hell, which is, uh, you know, the lake of fire. This is the word, Greek word Tartarus. It's different. It's a third chamber, so to speak, of the place of the departed dead, Hades or Sheol. You had a side of of torments, a side of paradise, and there was also a side or a portion or a place called Tartarus. And they committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. They were held in chains of darkness. What are chains of darkness? Well, I've never seen them. They're too dark to see, I guess. But anyway, when did this happen? And did not spare the ancient world. But Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, he brought... He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Clearly, he's talking about these angels doing this at the time before the flood. One more time. 1 Peter 3, 18-20. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in spirit, in which he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Well, what spirits were in prison? Those angelic beings who crossed the line and left their domain, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. All right. We've established that this was something that's a tactic that Satan used to try to prevent God from fulfilling his promises of bringing a Messiah because everybody in the earth would be part angel and, and part uh, uh, human. So he stopped it with the flood. That's why he had to destroy everybody. He put the angels who did it in Tartarus in chains of darkness held for And he went down while he was dead and told them, you've lost. Now, Satan 
only started out with a third of the angels. And he can't replace angels. He loses them. Well, then his, his resources are great. If though you're going to have one last war, why not do it again? Well, what does it say in Luke 17, 26? And so, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Do you see that? Again, it says that in Matthew 24, 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. Bonnie, you had a question? It just made me think of, and it's not quite the same, but I don't know if you've heard much about the transhumanism drive by the Satanists. There's a lot of... There are other things involving artificial intelligence where they're trying to create super human beings. Not only that, but actually, actually uh, genetically modifying and, and crossing that border. Yeah, but, you know, if you could have a superhuman made by men versus a being that's part angel and part human, which would you prefer if you were bad? You know, the, the, we have no idea the powers of angels. The angelic beings are extremely powerful and amazing in what they can do. And this is, Now, one other thing that it, this brought to my mind before the... It's in Daniel 2.43. It says this. This is right before the last kingdom with the ten toes. In that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. What in the world does that mean? In the seed of men. It could be referring to angelic infiltration. It could be changing the DNA of human beings. It could be adding artificial intelligence. But whatever, uh, but there will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not adhere to pottery. So I'm going to run through these last ones very fast because we're running out of time. But there's this infiltration is a sign, I believe, if you can see it. Whether we'll be able to notice it or not, I don't know. Hopefully we won't be here when it really starts these guys get old enough. But you will see there is uh, a preparation for the forming or the forming of a one world government spoken of in Daniel chapter uh, 7, right here at the fourth kingdom, devour the whole world. The next one, Mark, is uh, the rise of the ten kingdom coalition. Some people will tell you they've already divided the world into ten sections. And that's there, and they're making arrangements for it. And you will see that there in Daniel 7, 24. The next one is this. This morning, I took a quick screenshot. I was reading about Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum. And you're going for this one more order. And this is a description of what's going on. The think tank, which is the World Economic Forum, the think tank summarizes that we are increasingly entering a world where gatherings such as Davos are, quote, a silent global coup d'etat to capture the government. It appears as these are signs. All of the tribulation is coming. And uh, it's coming very quickly. We see it set up for these things. I think we are living in the last days clearly. Now, why don't we just say... Gee, Lord, you see all this? Just come back and get us. And we'd be all over. Just come back and get us. There's a reason why he's not. Because of his love.
Look at this passage. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. What does he want? Everyone saved. Now, if you talk, and I'll throw another grenade into the room here. If you talk to somebody from PCPC, they'll tell you, oh, no, he only the elect. No, he doesn't want the elect only saved. He wants everyone saved to be part of the elect. But they choose not to. But what do we... Now, just think about this a second. What could we do to hurry up the time that he's coming back for us? Win people to the Lord, yes! Oh, well, that's something we don't do, right? No, it's something we should be about every day. Lord, reveal to me the opportunity you're giving me to share my faith with someone. Not give me the opportunity. He's giving you the opportunities. Reveal it. Donna, real quick, and then we're going to pray. Shouldn't, shouldn't be. They realize these signs are. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we could gather here together. I thank you for the time that we can open your word, we can speak freely, and we can come to understand what it is that you want. We love you, and we really do want to obey you. Help us to ask you to reveal the opportunities so that we can share our faith. Help us to be able to tell people with urgency that their time for making a decision is going to be gone soon, and they will be left behind Help us with friends, neighbors, people we don't know but who need to know you. Pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.